HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Worldwide Soba, a Japanese noodle production company. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And on today's episode, I have Sana Javeri Kadri, and she brings a whole new gold standard to the culinary root of a flowering plant in the ginger family. That's turmeric. Its color, sometimes referred to as curcuma, brings with it a promise of anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties. But what Diaspora Co. is trying to do is disrupt and decolonize an outdated commodity spice trading system, bring equity to Indian farmers who make fresh, sustainable, single-origin, curcumin bioavailable. That's the social justice of a queer, woman-owned spice company, which may be even more potent than the spice itself. So welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, I was just complimenting you right before we came on air about the the power that you have as a 25-year-old. Because I I came out of college, and it took me a while to graduate, to New York, um, slightly flustered and and unsure of where I fit in the greater scope of food. Um, Maybe... it wasn't as easy as you make it seem, but you found such a great niche within the world of turmeric. And I know it took a while to get there. Totally. Um, and you seem so comfortable in your skin now being the kind of business owner you are. H- how do you, how do you encompass this? How do you, how do you be who you are? Biggest question first. <laughs> <laughs> how do I be who I am? Wow. That's a lot of therapy. Um, I think so. I actually was in New York uh, in 2013 and 2014, and I came here because I had heard that this is where kind of everything happened. And so I, had, I dropped out of college sophomore year and, came, and moved out here. At the time, I was apprenticing at Eagle Street Rooftop Farm, I was baking at Ovenly, and I was waitressing at Basil, which is a Hasidic Jewish restaurant in Crown Heights. Um, all at the same time. So I was working 16-hour days, six days a week. But it was the most thrilling like six to nine months of my life. Um, and I think 
that New York is really where I learned all of the words, like all the words like sustainable and artisanal and farm to table, but also the words like queer and postcolonial, because um, there were already, I mean, we just talked about the fact that before we got on air that as a 25-year-old, there's currently like five other people right now, right here in New York that I'm seeing tonight that are all doing incredible things in food as 25-year-olds. Feel free to name drop them. Yeah, Please. I can name drop away. Well, it's like Devon Francis of Yardi. He just turned 26 and like is one of the most phenomenal food artists. And again, he seems like, where did he come from? You know, it's all of his work is so polished and it's like he's been thinking about it his whole life, but his whole life is only 26 years. Um, and I think for a lot of us, we always joke that one, it's the trauma. Like if you go through enough shit when you're young enough as a teenager, by the time you're 25, you feel really old, um, which I don't. I feel I feel youthful. You're still spry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... I think the other, the one is the trauma. And then I think the second thing is we came of age with the internet. And so our ability to make connections started super early on. Like I started drawing maps in my head of who knows who and what are they doing? What are they doing? And what are they doing in the industry? And how does that change this cuisine? And are they influencing this? Like from when I was 16, so that was nine years ago. So I think a lot of that comfort comes from, being Instagram native in a way. Yeah. And even though it's not the most tactile thing, you know, being on social media, it is a very visual thing. And you are also a visual artist, a very talented photographer. And we'll Thank talk you. about coming from you. Yeah. I'll blush at that. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about your amazing 2019 harvest photos, which I, I just can't get enough of. The internet hasn't seen them yet. Yes. Well, we'll <laughs> tease them out. Well, we'll speak about them poetically. But the, the references Eagle Street Oven Lee and Basil, that's Annie, Aaron, Agatha and Anna. I mean, such smart and strong women exactly. behind that too. So you are also in a position of not only being uh, queer of color, but a woman, which traditionally in you know the India and the spice trade uh, does is not very exist. Traditional. So yeah. why would you even attempt to venture into that? What are you trying to break up? Yeah. Oh, wow. Really, with the big questions. <laughs> um, I think what I've what I studied in college. Um, was very much about how colonialism affected agriculture in India. And my childhood in India, uh, when we talk about colonialism, we definitely say, wow, Gandhi, freedom movement, yes. But then there's also this underlying conversation about, well, they gave us trains, and now we speak English. Um, and we love the Queen, and London is so lovely. So there is a bit of a colonial hangover that existed all through my childhood that definitely caused me to not be very critical of colonialism until I moved here. And it was from an academic, like, undergraduate lens that I started researching, well, I'm interested in the food movement, so I should obviously understand the history of the food movement in India. And the more I went into it, the more I was like, well, this is crazy. Like, this, the spice trade was basically started by the the colonizers and imperialists and was spices really were the first luxury good in the world. I would, or the luxury, I would say first luxury food product for sure. Um, and the more I learned about it, I think the more I felt like, well, if I'm going to work in food and I want to come at it from a social justice and a kind of equality lens, aren't spices where you start? And I'm young and there's definitely a lot of things I want to do in my life that are not just spice related, but it just seemed like this is where you begin. This is kind of where you start the pilgrimage. Um, and 
I think in terms of all of my identities and how those don't fit into the spice trade, I think I was naive enough and young enough two years ago that I just had no idea what I was getting myself into. I followed my curiosity where I was like, oh, turmeric is popular. I wonder who's growing turmeric. Oh, maybe I'll write a story about it. And then, you know, blew through the... I think I had like a $300 allotment for the story I was writing, blew through that on like my first flight ticket um, and just kept visiting farms and kept realizing that, shit, the spice trade hasn't changed since the 1850s. And the way spices are categorized, the prices that they're sold at, who profits, who doesn't, all of that was set up by the British to profit them. And when they left, a bunch of traders swooped in, took that over, and the system never changed. So farmers still make you know, one hundredth of the final price of turmeric, uh, which is exactly how the British wanted it to be. Let's go the opposite. Yeah, I back. And, yeah, I yeah. like went in deep. Well, well no, no, I, I'm glad you did. But let's start at Mumbai and then come to the East Bay of California because okay. you came to the States for school. And um, with you, I'm sure you brought plenty of ashwagandha and Ayurvedic ideas. <laughs> Joking. But that's where <laughs> turmeric seems to stay. Yeah. I, I want to know why turmeric was carried with you, not not necessarily, you know, mm. physically um, from Mumbai to California. In what form? What did you miss? And what did you try to transition uh, turmeric into? Hmm. I'm not sure that turmeric, I always say that turmeric was kind of invisible to me in my childhood in Mumbai because you very much, if you grow up in India or in an Indian family, uh, breakfast, turmeric, lunch, turmeric, dinner, Turmeric. So it's like and it's salt and pepper on the table? Pretty much. I mean, you're blooming all of your spices in the fat, whatever you're cooking in. Um, and so without cumin, salt, turmeric, chili, there is no food as far as I was concerned. So I think my curiosity in America really came from it being singled out and it being singled out for its properties. To this day, the smell of turmeric for me makes me think that I must be sick because I associate it with turmeric honey paste that I had to like obsessively eat anytime I was homesick from school. Um, but to backtrack all the way back to Mumbai, um, I was born in 1993. So I was born right when Mumbai um, neoliberalized or not even Mumbai, sorry, India neoliberalized, where we went from being a protectionist state where there really weren't global brands. Capitalism didn't really exist in its full force um, to us becoming like the newest, youngest marketplace. So my childhood was really defined by remembering when Coke didn't exist and it was only Thumbs Up, the Indian brand. Th thumb Up, right? Yes, no B no B, that. Thumbs Up. <laughs> We're very phonetic like yeah. that. Um, so Thumbs Up and then seeing Coke really eclipse Thumbs Up. And now Thumbs Up is kind of a nostalgic, cute thing. Um, or, you know, a big one that I always talk about was Nestle coming into India, where I remember the summer where Nestle bought up all the airtime and everybody's houses when you went over for lunch went from making their own yogurt cultures to buying Nestle yogurt because all of the ads kept saying that like Nestle yogurt is more hygienic, like it's more mm. sanitary and it has more probiotics. I mean, all bullshit in retrospect, but I remember that transition happening. So I think when I moved to Italy for high school and then the U.S. for college, my way of navigating, my like lens through which I saw the world was already consumption and was already 
capitalism in a way. But did you have those ingrained traditions? Um, Priya Krishna just wrote this amazing know, piece about yogurt cultures. And was turmeric uh, a very kind of... Deeply rooted yeah, tradition? in your family. Absolutely. I mean, at a wedding, what you do is you make a paste of turmeric and sandalwood and rose petals, and you put that onto like the bride and groom's bodies as good luck. Um, that was my favorite day of all weddings, because um, you got to slather your aunts and uncles and cousins in yellow. And it sounds like great skincare. And it's great <laughs> skincare. Um, there are several brands that have really cashed in yes, on that. Yes, yes. And we will certainly talk <laughs> we'll about get there. that. there. Um, so, I mean, I, I really think from life to death, turmeric marks everything. And in my childhood, so I actually grew up doing a paste. Um, I feel embarrassed talking about this now because I'm the darkest in my family, which was a great like stain on my grandmother's name that she raised a, or g gave birth to a dark child. Um, and so I was made to scrub a mixture of chickpea flour and turmeric on my skin every Friday to make me lighter. And to make my skin glow. Um, and there was, you know, I would get a lot of praise at the end of that ritual. So Friday evening at family dinner, I'd be like, oh, you look so beautiful now. You definitely look at least three shades lighter. Um, and my mom definitely didn't stand for that stuff. There was a lot of her being like, stop it right now. Like, you are good just as you are. But that was the external messaging I was getting, that turmeric was going to make me fairer and going to help get help me get a husband. None of which I want anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um so, does, yeah, does that kind of answer? Yeah, well, you're talking so much about turmeric being a visual thing. Right. And there has been this separation for so long of turmeric the food and turmeric maybe the health, if mm -hmm. those are the two big, you know, categories. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned before the smell of turmeric. I believe most people don't know what turmeric smells people like. People don't know that turmeric has a smell. So what is the smell of turmeric? What is the smell of Diaspora Co's versus what you'll get in the supermarket? Okay. Um, I think Diaspora Co turmeric has a floral note to it. And I know that, that sounds kind of bean-to-bar chocolate tasting notesy, and I feel a bit obnoxious saying it. They're all single um, origin. <laughs> they are. Um, but so there's this floral note where it doesn't have like this overly bitter metallic smell that often turmeric can have. And that smell comes from when it's old. That smell comes from when all of the volatile oils and like the active compounds Compounds in it have disappeared because it's seven years old. Um, so grocery store turmeric, the there's not really um, age laws around uh, spices in America. And you and I have talked about this with vinegar too. That that's a grand sham where mm -hmm. all your vinegar is probably rancid, right? Don't so let you last me go on a diatribe. I won't let you go on a <laughs> diatribe. But I went home very scared that none of my vinegars were worthwhile anymore. Um, but so most turmeric in the grocery store can. Is in 2019 can be as old as from the 2012 harvest, which means at that point it's really just yellow dirt. So when people do say that there's no smell to turmeric, I understand that. Mm -hmm. They're consuming some soil. Yeah, I mean, you were in India in, in January. Mm -hmm. That was harvest. Mm -hmm. uh, it gets dried and processed, milled in February, March. Yeah, so the actually Prabhu just sent me a WhatsApp message yesterday that it's all cooked, so now it's going to go to the mill. And in April, we'll be receiving this year's harvest, yes. only months removed from when you saw exciting. it. And that that was mind-blowing to me. And um, I don't say it lightly when Diaspora Co. is really the new gold standard for turmeric, partially because it is the most golden turmeric I've ever seen. <laughs> and it is a very visual thing, but I've never smelled turmeric before until I opened up that jar. Oh, and that it's, just, it's just a mind-blowing thing to reevaluate um, 
everything you once knew and and re right. you know reorganize the systems of what you care about. Didn't you have that feeling the first time you recognized that the same that cacao beans, depending on origin, could case, taste differently? Because that was me in 2013 here. I remember going to Mass Brothers, which I guess now they're less cool, but back then they were like very cool. Um, and just having my mind blown. And they had just released their um, milk chocolate bars and you could taste the difference in the milks too, the goat, the sheep and the cow. Um, so I really think that coffee and cacao and understanding that idea of terroir has informed so much of what we're trying to do with spices. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go to India and talk about what it's like on the ground. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Worldwide Soba, a Japanese noodle production company. Founded by Shuichi Kotani, Worldwide Soba offers noodle consulting services in addition to supplying a variety of tools for wannabe noodle makers. Want to take a class? Worldwide Soba has it. Need a traditional Japanese soba knife? Worldwide Soba has that too. To learn more, visit worldwide-soba.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio has plenty more. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I'm the host of Feast Your Ears here on HRN. My show explores the world of food through storytelling. Every week, I talk with people inside and outside the food world about how experience has shaped what they eat and cook. You can find Feast Your Ears wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, with Sana Javeri Kadri of Diaspora Co. Turmeric. And let's, let's just talk about what diaspora co diaspora company means to you the word diaspora mm-hmm. what does it mean in the context of turmeric or india yeah i think uh you know until i moved away when i was 16 i didn't understand the term diaspora and i didn't know what it meant to be a part of diaspora but actually when we were when i was in college my closest friends were all like fellow international um immigrant or international kids, um, because we joked that we always bonded over something called diasporic angst, because we we were suddenly racked with this feeling of neither here nor there. We don't belong there, but we don't belong here. And it was all very melodramatic. And, you know, we had lots of hormones raging through us. And I always joked that for me, that was my food style too. Like diasporic angst is how I cook. I cook for what I'm homesick for, which could be anything from, you know, pasta, Italian pasta to Indian khichdi. Um, and I'd always joked that if I ever had a cafe, because I thought I would be a cook for a long time, it would be called diasporic angst, which is kind of a mouthful. <laughs> um, but it's going to happen. I'll yeah, do it. I'll you get, wait. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to DA anytime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think when when I had the idea for the turmeric company and it really was this idea of like redefining global trade within food. Um, diaspora was just like the ultimate personification of that. You know, um, I am now a member of the diaspora. I represent diaspora. Um, and I represent a new vision for how diaspora can be treated and perceived. I think often diaspora is known in kind of a negative context of like, Oh, those immigrants who went to America and like, I don't know. I think it's similar to the word immigrant. The diaspora is often used in a negative context of uh, the 
Irish diaspora and or diaspora in this community is so tremendous and you know infiltrating, um, and we want to redefine that and be like actually, you know, diaspora means sharing culture and sharing um, our food in like co- complicated, subtle ways with nuance. Well, I mean, we are a global, or at least I, I like to think that the majority of us are global citizens, and you are an advocate and you are an ambassador, and l- let's talk about. Pradesh. I mean, you are ultimately um, this Indian farmer's gateway or, or surrogate conduit. Prabhu is his uh, Prabhu. name. The state yeah, is yeah. under Pradesh. Um, there were a lot of things I was going to mispronounce. <laughs> uh, you are, you know, this conduit for somebody who wouldn't have a voice otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, why that person? Why that state in India? Mm. Um, and And there's a really interesting passage on your website about uh, the harvest photos, which aren't up yet. Um, and, and seeing these photos, you think of this area as some oasis and the spice growing lushness. And that's simply not true. Uh, the city of Vijayawada, Vijayawada yeah. um, is thick with pollution and has an overwhelming number of open sewers. Piles of plastic being burnt on the side of the road are a common and awful winter sight. That is not what you think of when you think of turmeric or think right. of the the multiverse and you know color spectrum of india um what are we getting wrong here what are we seeing i think it's an outdated idea of india that americans have often um you know one of the comments that pissed me off so much that i started this company was sitting at a dinner with a lot of very fancy pants chefs and uh one of the the woman who was kind of the keynote speaker at the cement turning to me and like, oh, sweetie, I love India so much. You know, I love going to the markets and you're just so lucky that everything there is organic. And I was like, uh, no, like an Indian market is anything but organic. We have the highest rate of fertilizer runoff in the world, like higher than China. Um, and she was just like, well, that's not possible. The people are too poor to afford fertilizer. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, somebody needs to set this story straight. Um, because the Indian government subsidizes huge amounts of pesticides and fertilizers. The British bought, brought in pesticides and fertilizers way back before <coughs> they left. Um, the uh, like sort of deletion of knowledge of organic agriculture goes so far back that a farmer's grandfather doesn't remember how to grow organically. <laughs> You know, and that's like the really sad state of Indian agriculture. So this like odd romanticization of it by usually the West, I think really just strikes me as this like neo-colonial orientalist vision of the exotic. Well, let's take something completely unrelated, such as the tomato and how Mm -hmm. that became, you know, uh, something in every supermarket, bodega, etc. And it's this big, ripe red tomato that can sit out on the shelf and has no flavor. Now we have heirloom varieties. Right. What you are dealing in is also an heirloom variety until you recognize that there is that wider world of a single ingredient. um, You are, you know, you got those blinders on. It is very myopic. So what is this airline heirloom variety and why has this not been grown for generations? That's yeah. That's my favorite history lesson. Um, so until I went to the Indian Institute of Spice Research, which is in Kerala, um, it's kind of a sleepy research institution. Uh, they don't get back to you for months on end. Took me four months and a flight to get in touch with them. Um, I thought that the 
only varieties of turmeric were Mysore, Alipi, and Salem. Those are like the three that if you look up, you know, turmeric varieties, if you look up a trader's website, that's what you'll find. Um, And that always struck me as weird because Mysore is a region of India that's no longer called Mysore. Alipi is a region of India that's no longer called Alipi. These are all colonial names for South Indian towns and villages. And so what ISR really explained to me is that the British, when they showed up and were super interested in spices, they had no context for these spices. So take turmeric. They created a shade card and they said any turmeric that meets this color will be now called Alipi. Why Alipi? Favorite vacation destination. Why Mysore? Favorite other destination. Why Salem? Terrible destination. Not as good. Um, or with pepper, I think that's a really good example that people assume that Malabar and Telecherry peppercorns are very wonderful. Those are just a size. So literally there's like a little ruler with holes in it of different sizes. The biggest hole, if a pepper falls through, ta-da, Malabar. What is Malabar? It's like the colonial name for the west coast of India. Um, what is Telecherry? It's a region of India that, I mean, that is a spice growing region, but those are these kind of words that we now market these spices by Ceylon cinnamon, Saigon cinnamon, all of these words um, don't actually refer to scientific varieties or um, indigenous varieties off the spice. Um, so the work that the Indian Institute of Spice Research has really been trying to do is look at heirloom varieties and actually look at it from a scientific point of view that you know, any turmeric that is a certain shade of orange is not the same. There are varieties that have a 1% curcumin content. There are varieties that have a 6% curcumin content. The one that we picked has a 4.7% curcumin content. And we picked it because in addition to that high curcumin content, it has a beautiful smell and flavor, like you said. Um, and it's high yielding. So it's not, you know, one of those heirloom crops where you get two turmeric at the end of the year. Um, and it's short duration. So it means that Prabhu, our partner farmer, can intercrop two, can intercrop and then have two other plantings through the year and not just be dependent on turmeric. So learning about those varieties for me was really like when all the bells went yeah. off in my head. And I thought it was just bold, not bitter, as far as your tasting notes went of, of Pergati uh, being an heirloom. And, you know, what you've done in the past... The, you talk about this not just as an old soul, but as an old company as well. Uh, you only started in 2016, but let's let's look at the numbers: 350 kilograms in 2017 to 6,000 last yeah. year. 6,000 oh, wow. over. Where did you find that? Oh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> uh, over 6,000 jars distributed. Six, no, 6,000 uh, kilograms. Yeah. Last year, yeah, and then 10,000 jars. 10,000 jars. That's wild. It's wild in a couple ways. Um, the equitability you're giving these farmers, um, which, what, is six times the commodity price. Yeah. Um, you are changing its value as a food because not only is it a different flavor profile, but it's, it's now sustainable. And it, it's, it's a little more potent, too. I feel like you have to use a little less. Um, but you're educating people about what turmeric really is in the culinary space. I did not know until reading your website that it should be taken with black pepper. Why is that? Yeah, so um, I actually shied away from that kind of wellness end of things for a while because I'm terrified of the FDA. Um, but 
I quickly realized that, you know, I get emails twice a week being like, how do we use it because we have pain? Um, and essentially, the active compound in turmeric is curcumin, which is the percentage that we test for every year and which if you're like buying it in the grocery store, you don't know what percentage you're buying. Um, usually it is zero. Um, and the active compound in pepper is piperine. And so there have been all of these scientific, like double blind placebo, all the science words, like legit studies done where um, adding one teaspoon of piperine to your turmeric increases the bioavailability off the curcumin. Bioavailability just being like your body's ability to absorb it it's not just a flavor um, profile thing necessarily even a, though it tastes great together it's a health thing yeah and it's like your ability to digest it thing um by i want was it a thousand or two thousand percent yeah it was some, an absurd number. some absurd number and so we recommend obviously please don't take a whole teaspoon of pepper like even if you just take a pinch of pepper with your teaspoon of turmeric you're increasing its bioavailability over a hundred percent and do not take turmeric alone is that a steadfast yes, rule? Yes, that is a steadfast rule because, well, I mean, if you want to dye something, sure, take turmeric alone. If you want an orange tongue, take turmeric alone. But if you're taking it um, to be able to absorb its benefits, you take turmeric with black pepper. And black pepper is the important thing there because people often are like, oh, I take it with pink peppercorns. And I have to be like, that's not part of the pepper family. <laughs> so that's not helpful to you, even though it's really pretty. Um, but I've had a lot of that. I've seen those photos on Instagram and I'm like, Ugh, this is awkward. Um, and then you want to take it with a good fat. And that's, um, I compare it to coffee. Like if you drink a ton of caffeine, your tummy hurts. You take caffeine with a fat, like ghee or butter as that trend is happening right now. And you have a much easier time digesting it and processing the caffeine. So it's exactly the same with curcumin and if, and fat. With a warm or heated fat. With the heated. The heated is kind of the cherry on top. Um, from what I understand, you don't have to heat it, um, but it certainly helps. So that's why as much as I think golden milk lattes are not very tasty um if you're taking it for its medicinal purposes or like properties um you're with a golden latte you're taking with a fat because milk of any kind you're taking it heated because you're heating it and you have black pepper so it is really giving you the triple whammy of everything you need um the sad thing is that most golden milk lattes come from really shitty turmeric so what's the point (laughs) buy diaspora co and make your own let's let's get to recipes because you put out this cookbooklet last year which was i would call it a zine zine yeah same same i have some respect for cookbooks (laughs) i don't feel like it was not the level well we'll talk afterwards about how i love and hate cookbooklets which happened during the 50s and 60s but what you've done is is also release these recipes in the world such as ghee coffee turmeric tonic uh this millennial face gunk which (laughs) i feel like is similar what you wiped on your skin maybe yes um how do people actively use turmeric and not just let that jar sit in their pantry? Yeah. Um, I mean, the easiest one is you just add it to your rice cooker. You know, I throw in a pinch of black pepper, some ghee and turmeric into my rice cooker and you're done. Um, I love adding it to granola. Uh, we have a granola, a product granola and a granola recipe all coming onto our site next month. So that's very exciting and people should stay tuned. Um 
it's delicious on roasted vegetables. Um, do you know the spice Hawaii? I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. H a w a i j Hawaii. I know it. Like it, Israeli yeah, yeah. spice blend, and that's essentially like cumin, turmeric, salt mixed together, and that's an amazing roasting sp- blend. Um, so for me, turmeric carrots, amazing. I add it to my salad dressings. I really find, and I'm obviously biased, but I find it to be a super versatile spice in that it doesn't op- overpower things as long as you don't use too much. I have had way too many people like frantically texting me being like, I put two tablespoons into my salad dressing. Everything is orange now. And I'm just like, please, moderation. Yeah, a little bit in your pickles. I know you've actually are doing a collaboration with McVicker's Pickles. Yeah. Um, I forget what kind you're making, but of course it colors everything, but there's also a flavor that carries through. Uh, talk to me about Kichidi. Uh, Kichidi. Kichidi, yeah. Oh, you really have, get all my points. Um, Kichidi is a kind of, it's a very nourishing, hearty rice, lentil, ginger, and spice dish. Um, I would compare it to kind of the kanji of India. Um, it's definitely thicker, but and it's also a dish that's very rooted in Ayurveda because it's meant to be cleansing for your stomach. So similar to turmeric, I associate kichdi with being sick. Anytime I was home from school, um, the one thing I wanted most was kichdi. Um, and it's usually eaten with, I eat it with uh, yogurt, uh okra so bhindi um, and then a little bit of pickle on the side so it really is a complete food you get your you know creamy tangy yogurt you get the really hearty bowl of rice and then you get your greens and the brick the pickle and i have to shout out chitra brooklyn deli here who makes the best yes. pickles yes her tomato so. achar is indispensable in my household it's not just indispensable i can't not have it now it's become <laughs> such a fixture in my pantry um, yeah, shout out to Chitra. Shout it's, out it's to amazing. Chitra. We love you. And um, again, she's of this new generation. I mean, she's in her maybe early 30s. That's so but funny. I consider her like my elder. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I met up with her when I was here in 2013, and she really was the inspiration where she was. She started doing this before it was cool. She started Brooklyn Deli a lot before it was cool. And this is Deli, D-E-L, D-E-L-H-I. Yes, the, the city, not the concept. Um, but I feel like I got sidetracked a little bit. I was telling you about kitchdi. Um, but kitchdi is also similar to turmeric, been one of the most co-opted foods in the American kind of 2019 wellness age where firstly people call it kichari, um, and take out the H everywhere. Um, and now kichari involves uh, lentils on one side, rice on one side and vegetables, which to me is kind of saying that, you know, pasta with a tomato sauce and lasagna are the same thing. As, and so saying that like rice and lentils are the same thing as kitchari. Um And I got very angry at a few different news outlets and I wrote them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have feelings about this. Be a force. Um, <laughs> I mean, that that's the great thing about social media, that it gives you a platform to be able to speak your mind. Um, and I, I feel like it is therapy for a lot of people as well, that they mm-hmm. can speak their mind, and then find the people that agree with them and right. create some kind of stable base, uh, th- this, you know, um, you know, community of people you can fall back on and agree with and, and grow stronger. And often learn when you're wrong. That's, yeah, the, the humility of that is wonderful. I, I feel like when I post things on Instagram now, at some point, somebody will 
leave a somewhat snarky comment usually. Um, and initially my reaction was like, why you got to do that? And I kind of pout about it. But then I think about it and like their comment has broadened my horizons in a way to a world that otherwise I exist in a check echo chamber and I don't see. For example, um, you know, we I posted about these incredible kebabs that my family makes and I got a post about it a comment immediately being like, actually, like every Muslim household from Egypt to here makes these kebabs. And initially I was like, yeah, sure. But like, it's my family recipe. But then I thought about it like, well, what a wonderful opportunity to ask this person to tell me how all these different cultures make it and broaden that conversation rather than just be like, this is my story. Come on. (laughs) Don't you feel that way in collaboration as well, though, that you get to experience some other person's better half? Um, Again, with the McVicker pickles, you do these turmeric okra. Uh, You've done uh, turmeric or golden milk frozen yogurt with Eben Bean, which is in Portland, Oregon. I know Mm -hmm. it's in the Pacific Northwest. Um, How nice is it to find these partners to be able to explore these other outlets and venues? Yeah, I think that's been... So the the turmeric okra especially has like a special place in my heart because it's inspired by masala okra. Um, Have I given you a jar? I'm not going to say yes or no, but I'm shaking my head no. Okay. I'll be expecting one. (laughs) Okay. Um, But for me, masala bindi was my whole childhood. I can eat masala bindi every single day and I would not get tired of it. Um, but beyond cooking that for my friends and family, I didn't really have a way to share that with people. But now in turning it into a pickle, which Americans understand, like okra pickle, um, I've been able to share it with the entire country. And that's been quite a personal thing to see people consuming these masala okra pickles on the Internet. I'm going to end with the fact that you are a wonderful photographer. And I I don't know when you're going to release those harvest photos, but I Mm -hmm. hope soon for everyone else's sake. Because peeking into that part of the world, yes, you've taken the most beautiful utopian images of what can be happening there. But listen back as to, you know, the burning trash and the sewage, etc. It is very dystopian. And did you even start... Diaspora Co. as a tumor company or as a dystopian art project? (laughs) I can't tell sometimes. (laughs) I think it was 100% a dystopian art project. And I think that about four months ago, I had to really pause and take stock and be like, actually, you know, the dystopian art project um, was successful. The project has been completed um, within the initial framework that I set out to create it in. And now... Do I, as the artist, just walk away and like keep th- these relationships going, make sure Prabhu gets his business and walk away because as a visual artist and just as an artist, there are other things I want to tackle or do I buckle down, invest and become the turmeric lady um, or rather the spice lady? Um, and I, it, t- it was quite like an existential crisis for a minute there uh, because I really enjoyed the like radical openness that starting it involved where I could, I dreamed up my wildest dreams and then I made it. Um, and I know that that doesn't happen very often. Um, but I think at this point, the pros of continuing and really feeling like I could, you know, grow this into being one of the best spice companies out there. And there are others that are also incredible, you know, Burlap and Barrel. We know Ethan um, very well. Yeah, right? I think Ethan is phenomenal. Um, like, And we're all working towards the same goal. Um, but I feel confident, like perfectly positioned to do that for India. 
And that's purpose that keeps me going. No small thing. Yeah. But thank you for bringing such a big gift to us. Go to Diaspora Co. That's diasporaco.com. Check out all of Sana's wonderful turmeric, not just the powder itself, but all these great collaborations. And I love that marigold apron as well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you again for being on. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to our sponsor, Worldwide Soba, Music by Cookies, and Jeet Paul Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.